The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Your host is Ellen Etoff, the soulful sex coach. Our program will take you beyond the sex you've been experiencing and open up a whole new world of intimacy. You've got a lot to learn today, so let's get started. Here is Ellen Etoff. Are you ready for an ecstatic love life? I am. Today's show is called The Surprising Truth About Men and Sex and why they fake it too. Now, is it possible that men are stereotyped regarding their sexuality as much as women have been? And if so, how do women's growing freedoms around sexuality and what they expect from it affect male sex drive and performance? How do ED drugs like, you know, Viagra and such and testosterone supplements affect love and relationships? My guest today is Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, who offers a surprising perspective on the minds and motivations of men as being committed, caring, loving, and sometimes clumsy individuals doing their best to be great partners in their relationships. During the show, men and women alike may start to question what we think we know about gender, motivation, sexuality, relationships, and ultimately the definition of a man. So I'd like to introduce my guest, Dr. Morgenthaler, has been on my radar for quite a while now. He's uh, the founder of Men's Health Boston and author of many books, including Why Men Fake It, The Totally Unexpected Truth About Men and Sex. He's an associate clinical professor of urology at Harvard Medical School, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Morgenthaler's exploration of male sexuality from the Masters and Johnson era through the introduction of Viagra, feminism, and the Internet, provides a basis for his provocative and revolutionary ideas regarding men and sex, a topic that until now has been either sensationalized or stereotyped by the media. He also authored The Viagra Myth, The Surprising Impact on Love and Relationships, Male Body, A Physician's Guide to What Every Man Should Know About His Sexual Health, and Testosterone for Life, Recharge Your Vitality, Sex Drive, Muscle Mass, and Overall Health. So welcome, Dr. Morgenthaler. Thanks very much. Thanks for being here. So I have one of your books, the latest one, which is Why Men Fake It, The Totally Unexpected Truth About Men and Sex. And I I do want to say that it's great reading. It's a fascinating read with uh, true stories about your male patients and, and very interesting conclusions. So I've seen research lately that indicates, not surprisingly, that men and women typically don't know much about what's going on sexually with their partners. We know that men don't understand women very much, but the reverse (laughs) is also true. So I'd like to start with, um, 
What is one of the most unexpected things you've learned about men's sexuality that might apply to the average married couple? Well, you know, I would add one more thing in there about what men, men don't know much about women and women don't know much about men is that men don't know much about men. Oh, they think They yeah. think they do, but they don't. And one of the biggest issues I find as a specialist in men's health and male sexuality is that a lot of guys have really strange ideas about what they're supposed to be like mm-hmm. and what other, guy, <clears throat> what other guys are, are like, that, and, and they feel badly about themselves if they don't match up, which is, of course, a, a very big deal. So they're you stereotyping know, I this book, themselves. I, I think yeah. the, the biggest surprise to me is really the, the main thrust of what I write this book about. Um, you know, I, I'm a guy, and I grew up, you know, in <laughs> high school on sports teams and all these things. And I really believed the old stereotype about guys that when it came to sex, that guys were often uh, jerks. And uh, I'm sure that that's still true for, for some guys. But what really surprised me is that when guys come into my office and the door is closed... And they start talking really about some, uh, you know, sexual parts of their lives that they've never shared with anybody else. Their concerns, their fears, what's, what's, what's not working for them. Is that it's actually astonishing. And I remember very early on, this guy walked into my office who was kind of too cool for school. He wasn't a, a very appealing kind of character. And, and within a couple of moments of talking while he was there, the, this guy, this sort of tough guy, was in tears and why he was so unhappy and tortured was that he couldn't satisfy his partner because he had premature ejaculation. Mm. And I thought, well, this is strange. This is like a different thing. It's the guy cares so much about being a good partner for his girlfriend that he feels bad about himself. It, wouldn't, it wasn't obvious. And over the years, what I discovered is that there's nothing unusual about that at all. As a matter of fact, I think that's really how most men feel, is that they care more about what they're able to give to their partner sexually than their own sexual satisfaction. I think that's totally opposite the stereotype. I get that from my own research. I've done research with my subscribers, and I found this, that men more than anything want to be able to be great lovers and make their partners happy. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I... I, I I'm glad I, I you joke, think so. But imagine, imagine, imagine a guy who has sex with his girlfriend or his wife for two hours, right? And they do 27 positions out of the Kama Sutra. And at the end of all that, the guy's exhausted. And he looks over at the woman and she looks like, eh, she didn't really, you know, she didn't have an orgasm. She wasn't impressed. Even though he's done all that stuff, he feels deflated, uh-huh. depressed. Contrast that with a guy who only lasts about 45 seconds. But in that time, his wife or his girlfriend has a great orgasm. He's not common, think, however. He's going to think, I'm, it may not be common, but maybe they did stuff before, right? right but right. he's still going to think, I'm the man. Yes. And the point is, it's not about what they did, how long they lasted, what positions they did. It's that the men see their own success through what they've been able to provide for the women. And one of the things I see so much is there's a lot of sexual dysfunction in men. Erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, bent penises from Peroni's disease, um, low desire. And one of the things that's worth paying attention to if we start seeing what guys are really all about 
is that that sexual dysfunction is not only that it impairs the guy's own ability to enjoy sex for himself, it's that the guys feel like they don't have that much to offer their partners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then there's an yeah, this is so valuable. But what then there's another stereotype. It's not really that men are jerks so much. It's just that they they want sex all the time or more than women. So right. I I assume that is somewhat a stereotype. And if it is, what's the reality on that front? Right. Well, you know, I, I think that our ideas about men really are can be almost encapsulated with the idea of the 21-year-old who's on spring break. You know, we think about these young guys who are, you know, not attached to anybody, just want sex, or ready to do it anytime with anybody. And we sort of think that guys are like that. And guys actually promote that idea later into life because I think a lot of them talk that way as if they think that's how they're supposed to fit in and impress other guys. And, you know, what do we do then with the, uh, with the sensitive young guy who maybe isn't feeling that way and everybody around him is talking like that is that I think that he sort of withdraws and doesn't share any of that stuff and feels weird about himself. In fact, what really happens is that men and women can have a wide variety, wide-ranging amount of desire uh, on the whole and even over the course of weeks and months. You know, that there, mm-hmm. and, um, and we now see a lot of couples, especially now that women are much more um, in tune with their bodies and have had... Uh, are, are much freer today than they were, say, 20 years ago in terms of religious training, cultural training, so that they now feel okay about <laughs> being in touch with their desire. We now see a lot of couples where uh, this used to be unheard of, or at least people didn't talk about it, where the woman wants sex more often than the guy does. And that yes. can be true whether the guy is completely normal hormonally and psychologically or not. Like, that's just the way it is sometimes. That's not true for all couples. Sometimes the man does want sex more than the woman. But it's not a, uh, a thing that's true across all genders. And one of the things we see now, of course, is that if a man has any kind of sexual issue, he feels bad about it, and often his desire for sex then will decrease. And the other thing we have to pay attention to a lot these days is there's so much low testosterone out there. Just <laughs> That's why you see all the ads and stuff. But when testosterone declines for men, which is fairly common after age 45 or so, then it also affects how often and how urgently they really desire sex. Yes, and I want to come back to that and really explore that low testosterone issue. Like where, I think it's more than just age, isn't it? There's more happening around that issue. And I would like to get to that more specifically probably in a second or third segment here. So, um Let's not drop that ball. But um, I wanted to ask you about something you, you already said, which was, you know, the, the idea of this guy on spring break, you know, being able to do it any time with as many women as he wants, um, that men kind of perpetuate that as they get older. I'm guessing you mean even when they're in a, a longer-term committed relationship. How does that impact them if they think that they should be able to do it all the time and aren't necessarily feeling it because people's, isn't it true that one's, um, maybe not their libido, but their the desire for frequency does tend to go down uh, with the brain chemistry changes and so forth when you've been in a relationship for um, a couple, three years. Sure. 
So, you know, there's, there's sort of the normal and then the, the, the not-so-normal. I mean, you know, it's normal for couples to have been together for a while. Uh, even if they are perfectly compatible, great relationship, and are sexually turned on by each other, for the frequency to go down. I mean, yeah. you know, most couples, when they start sexually, have sex at a... Usually at the beginning is the highest rate they're ever going to have sex. Sure. And it can stay, it can stay at a pretty high rate for a while. But, you know, life gets in the way eventually, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, after, uh, after uh, a few years of being together, even couples that are having sex um, relatively frequently are not usually having as much as when they started. And so some of that is just, you know, life and to be expected. So I was but, just wondering if that expectation of being able to do it all the time, though, relative to the reality that you're discussing, and we, we do know, um, does that affect... Because, because the information isn't broad enough, isn't out there in the world enough that men think they should be performing more often than they are? Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that's very true. And, I, you know, I think men get themselves in trouble like this. You know, it's amazing what you see in magazines for women like Cosmopolitan, right? Uh, yes. Like, there's so much sexual information. And women talk to each other, my experience, about almost anything. Yes. And they talk, uh, not all women, and not, <laughs> not all women have friends that they can talk to like this even if they wanted to. But sort of to generalize a little bit, there are a lot of women who really feel quite free talking about this. But you will never, ever, ever get men sitting, you know, sitting together at a bar and telling each other about what kind of problem they're having around sex. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And on, on the contrary, guys kind of half know or hope to suspect that what the stories that their buddies are telling them can't be more than half true. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of what, what guys do. But the problem is, is that for a lot of guys really do wonder if they're not having sex as much as they should, if they're not providing as much pleasure for their partners as they should, if there's something wrong with them. And I think that's one of the sad things. You know, and part of the reason that I wrote this book, really, there are a couple of reasons. But one is I wanted to share my perspective. You know, I've had a really a remarkable opportunity to sort of see what men are like with, you know, behind the closed door, if you will. With their pants and, down. Um, <laughs> With, I joke, with their pants down figuratively and literally. Yes. And, um, and I think it's a different perspective. And the other is I, I think that it's important for men to know what, what is true about guys. Because I, I, you know, I think if we can make it so that guys feel less alone with their own concerns and problems, that's good. And I think that women want to know the truth about men too. Sure. And, um, you know, Decades ago, when Our Bodies Ourselves came out for women, it was really revolutionary. And it's interesting that you say men don't... We think men's bodies and sexuality are just simpler and probably don't warrant that kind of education. But you're saying they do warrant that kind of education, which is so important. Um, tell you what, when we come back, I'm going to ask that question, which is about, you know, how common is it for men to fake orgasm and why would they do such a thing? Sure. So, um, and while we're discussing men's sexuality, I want to mention that um, the whole issue of sexuality in general for couples, you know, 
as Dr. Phil used to say, you know, if sexuality, if a problem sexual, if there's a problem in the marriage, if there's a sexual problem, it's like 80% of the marriage. But if sex is going great, then it's only like 20% of the issues in the marriage. And uh, when we're on break, you may have heard, if you've been listening to the show, you may have heard a, uh, a promotion for this music infused with auditory pheromones. And I just want to mention that it's actually my music that I produced. I haven't really said that on the show, I don't think. It's called Music for Better Sex, musicforbettersex.com. And much to my surprise, when we produce this music to help enhance intimacy and um, focus and a sense of um, sensual, heightened sensual perception, we discovered it does much more than that. And one thing that it we get reports on is that even for um, men with low libido, it tends to enhance their libido. It certainly does that for women, and we found that it makes orgasms easier for women and um, enhances spontaneity, seems to uh, decrease inhibitions, uh, like the cultural and religious inhibitions that so many of us still have kind of locked in our body memory, and um, it enhances emotional intimacy. And, of course, the passion and physical pleasure increases arousal rates and um, that sort of that gets that fire going. So I just wanted to mention that. So um, when we come back, I'm with my – this is Ellen Etoff with my guest, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, and we are going to talk about why men would fake it. We'll be right back. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It's being called the easiest way to have mind-blowing sex. Why? Because it turns average sex into incredible sex without you doing anything different. And today, you can see it for yourself in a free report. Learn how easy it is to stimulate greater sexual passion, enhance libido, and easier multiple orgasms for women. Experience new levels of intimacy as old sexual inhibitions melt away. And it all happens when you simply play a special type of music while you make love. How is it possible that nothing more than just playing music can give you such incredible sexual encounters? Because this music is enhanced with a special technology called auditory pheromones. Learn how scientifically proven auditory pheromones unleash a wave of sexual passion, intimacy, and pleasure, and free the body to experience maximum arousal and stimulation. Get your free auditory pheromones report today at musicforbettersex.com. That's musicforbettersex.com. Health is in your hands. What you do and what you don't do sets the course for the path of your life. Listen for wise chats, simple talk, profound wisdom with Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook. Through this series, we'll explore energetic approaches to health and healing that provide practical and personal solutions. Our guests will share ideas and insights that will help us all adopt new behaviors and create lasting internal shifts. Wise Chats can be heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. 
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Do you have questions or comments for Ellen Etoff or her guests? Call in live at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to radio show at ecstatica.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Ellen Etoff with Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. And as promised, I'm going to ask him right now, why... Would men fake it? You're saying that men actually, I know you're saying it because I've read your book, but you're saying that sometimes men actually do fake orgasm, which I think might be uh, shocking to a lot of women. So um, tell us about how often you think this occurs and why do men do this? Well, you know, after you're in this business for a while, you figure you've seen everything, but uh, now and then you get a, a shock. And so several years ago, this guy in his late 20s came in to see me and um, and it he told me that he faked his orgasms and it, it, it was absolutely shocking for me. And his story was that he had difficulty having an orgasm during intercourse, but with, uh, he could stimulate himself and, and, uh, and come. That sounds and, like a woman's story. <laughs> and, um, he thought he was kind of like a stud when he had all these girlfriends cause he could just keep going forever and they seemed pleased with it. But the problem happened when he fell in love and and um and the problem was that this girl that he loved um he started getting she was trying very hard to get him to have an orgasm and he had the sense after a while that not only did she think it was weird but that she was taking it badly about herself and her own feminine charms and in order to protect her from feeling bad about herself as a woman he f- ended up hitting on this idea of faking his orgasm. Exactly and, the reverse of what women do. I'm yeah. Yes. And after I got through trying to figure out with him how he actually faked it and what he did with the evidence, if you will, or the oh, lack yeah, of evidence. Oh, yeah, say that. Tell us about that, please. So I said, well, what, <laughs> how do you fake it? And he says, well, it's, you know, it's easy. I just kind of tense up my muscles. I make my noises. I <laughs> screw up my face like I would normally. And I said, well, what about the evidence? He says, well, at the beginning, we used a condom. And so I just made a quick exit to the bathroom and got rid of it at the beginning. And then later when, you know, we, we were monogamous and we stopped using condoms, um, he says, you know, I just figured she gets pretty wet. I figured there was a lot of fluid already down there. She would never know. And, you know, whether she knows or not, who knows. But after I got my mind wrapped around the, the how he did it. What really interested me is why would he do it? Because the idea of a man faking an orgasm, I think, is, is difficult for a lot of people to even conceive of. And the answer is, I think it is a, essentially like um, why women fake it. It puts an end to the activity. And it's a way of almost saying, like, you did a good job. Yeah. Like thank you, like thank you. No hard feelings. This is good. You were fine. But I think what is really sort of counterintuitive about the whole story is, is that it doesn't mesh with our idea of the selfish 
sexual man. Yes. Because he obviously gets nothing out of it. And in fact, for well, this young man named David in the, in the book, um, he actually felt like there was considerable risk to him doing it. Because if the woman, he was sure that if she figured out that he was faking it, she would have broken up with him because, you know, uh, he's being false. It turns out that although I thought that was an amazing story and unique, there's nothing unique about it. And as I started writing the book and telling uh, people about it, um, I found out that, and my patients too, I found out that more and more men would tell me that on occasion they faked orgasms. As a matter of fact, funny story is when the book finally came out, I met a friend for dinner and we're sitting at the bar and I had a copy of the, the book for him and it's sitting there on the, on the bar counter. And next to me were two women and a, and a man. And one of the women, cl- woman closest to me says, oh, what's that? That's an interesting title. What's that book about? Why men fake it? Can't be about orgasm because men don't do that. And the man who was with them said to her, Sure they do. I've done it many times. Oh, was he her partner? <laughs> and well, the story. I said, I said, why? Because I started talking to them, and he said, well, sometimes, especially after I've had uh, a little too much to drink, it's just not going to happen for me. Yes. So I say, you know, I fake it. We say good night with the, whoever I'm dating, and then in the morning you can start up again. Yep. But this idea, and University of Kansas actually had a study where 21% of their students actually had responded that they had faked an orgasm at least at one point in their life. Oh my goodness, what percentage, how does that compare to women's percentages? I'm not, I'm not sure of the numbers, do you know? I'm not sure I can tell you that, but, but you know, somewhere around 25% of women yeah. never even have an orgasm. Right. So, and those who do, it's not always so reliable. Well, and, what you know, I'm wondering is, um, so I think this education is so important because men shouldn't have to fake an orgasm. One, as you said, this guy got nothing out of it. I hope you meant that he got nothing out of faking the, or, faking the orgasm, but Correct. hopefully he got something out of the sexual experience, the intimacy, the pleasure, of all that course. other good stuff that happens before you actually um, have an orgasm. Yes, of course. Of course, it's exactly what I mean. But the, but the point is, I think the disconnect is that everybody thinks that men are driven by their own orgasm. Yes, they just want yes. to be able to come. You know, if anything, they, you know, the, the stereotype, a very negative one, is that men are, you know, sort of objectifying women, using them for their bodies, but essentially to get to the end point of sex, which is the orgasm. And here is a guy, and it turns out he's not alone, where they don't do that. You know, I, I, I want to just... And, and it goes back to sort of the central thesis in my book, Why Men Fake It, which is that there is this undercurrent that's been uh, unappreciated, unrecognized about men that really informs much of male sexuality, which is, again, once they have feelings or care about their partner, they care more about being able to be what I call a sexual provider than they do about their own gratification. Of course, they enjoy sex. It's, it feels great, but they care more about the other one. And I'll, I'll tell you one more story. A young guy comes to see me. He's a paraplegic. He's in his wheelchair. You know, he's got a muscular upper body, but he feels nothing below the waist. He can't move anything below the waist. And he's married. Actually, he was married to a nurse that had taken care of him when he'd had a spinal cord injury. And um, I helped him to be able to have sex. He had no erections. 
And some of these guys, we can teach them to, to actually inject medicine into the penis with a tiny little needle, and mm-hmm. it works even when the pills like Viagra and Cialis don't work. Right. And he comes back after a while, and he's thrilled. His wife is ecstatic. He's ecstatic. They're having sex. And what really sort of got to me was he says, Doc, I feel like a man again. Mm-hmm. And I think the average person would hear that story, and they would say, well, of course he does. He's a guy. He's having sex. Guys like sex. So that's why he feels like a man. But what's important to realize in this case is that this was a man who felt nothing down there. He didn't feel like a man because he was getting a great orgasm or because it felt good. For him, him it was 100% what he was able to do for his wife sexually. That's the ultimate masculine or yang energy is the giving Whereas mm-hmm. the feminine, theoretically, would be the receiving. And so I totally get it. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Um, I find that when I've, like I mentioned, I've done some surveys of my own um, subscribers. And what I found, I felt that men were getting a bad rap because the response I was getting is that these are men, uh, 70% were in a committed relationship. And uh, overall, I found that men, almost as much as women, wanted deep intimacy during lovemaking as much as they wanted hot physical sex. They wanted yeah. both. And they would, they would almost want you know, deep intimacy more than hot physical sex if they had to trade it off. And they even wanted a spiritual connection during lovemaking. But that, the other thing that they wanted, and, and reading hundreds of write-in responses, they wanted their partner to be able to let go and, and let them provide for them. You know, of course, women wanted to be able to let go and get out of their heads, but exactly what you're saying, men are giving and they are getting a bad rap. So I'm so glad that you're mentioning this. And another thing that I've been asked by men, especially as they get older, this, this might be sort of along the lines of the guy you described who uh, couldn't have an orgasm after he'd had too much to drink, but is this typical that as men get older, sometimes they can't always ejaculate after, um, you know, during sex that maybe they can have sex and get an erection, but maybe they won't actually get to that point of being able to ejaculate. Is that common as men get older? Yeah. One of the issues that we're seeing more and more of these days um, uh, is this difficulty having an orgasm. It has different names, delayed orgasm, retarded orgasm, which is sort of a weird term. Um, And uh, there can be a few reasons for it. One of the common reasons is uh, some of the medications that are used commonly now for anxiety or depression, the SSRIs, and they can lower sex drive both for men and women and can make it difficult to have an orgasm for both men and women. Some of the blood pressure medicines like the beta blockers can interfere with desire and orgasm. Uh, one of the commonly used medicines occasionally for, um, uh, commonly used medicines for enlarged prostates um, called finasteride or dutasteride uh, can interfere with this sometimes. So there can be some medications that do this. Alcohol can do it, like I mentioned. And for some guys, it really is an age effect that they just lose a little bit of sensitivity and they need more stimulation to get there. And then there's another big group, which is as men get older, their testosterone levels decline, and it can be related to how easy it is to have an orgasm. So we have some guys who are on testosterone injections and they get them every week or two weeks, 
and their levels rise for you know the first little while, but then by the end of that cycle, whether they're on a weekly or a or a two week cycle, often their testosterone levels have dropped, and a lot of those guys will notice near the end of their cycle that they've got trouble having an orgasm. It may not happen during sex. And let's distinguish between orgasm and ejaculation because most people in our culture think that that's a simul. It's usually a simultaneous event, but most people think that it's one event. And in fact, as I'm sure, um, you know, I've always tried to explain to people that they're really potentially separate events that we just usually find in combination here. Are you saying that these men have difficulty with both orgasm and ejaculation, the experience of the pelvic floor contractions and that sometimes that whole body experience, or is it just the ejaculation they have difficulty with? No, I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed out. You know, I teach the the students at Harvard Medical School, and um, uh, uh, I have them for a few hours every year in their reproduction class. And I always ask them, "How many here know the difference between who can tell me the difference between ejaculation and orgasm?" And I've been teaching this class. I'm I'm, I'm giving away my age for 20 years, and um, nobody ever gets it. Like, You're they don't kidding. Know. These are medical students. Yeah, and, the reason, <laughs> and the, you know, part of the reason is is that in sort of regular language, when we're talking about guys, we use those terms almost interchangeably, like yes. they're synonyms, right? right? I had a great orgasm, I had a great ejaculation, it's like they're the same, and they're not. So I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it out, especially on a show like this. So orgasm is the experience, the, the bells and whistles, the fireworks going off in the brain, the contractions, uh, the blood vessel changes, the heart rate, all that stuff. And ejaculation refers to the expulsion of the fluid. That's it. Yes. So normally they happen together for guys. I remember not, reading an article about one guy who was, he had to um, produce a sperm sample for a fertility clinic when he yep. and his wife were trying to get pregnant. And he said he went into the bathroom and there were, the, you know, there were no girly magazines, there was nothing. And he was there in this white bathroom and he, so he managed to produced the sample, but he said he realized all of a sudden that he did that, but he didn't have an orgasm. And he thought, well, if I can ejaculate without an orgasm, maybe I can have an orgasm without ejaculating. And he went on a, <laughs> well, a journey to more discover co- most that con- for himself. Yeah, when they're, when they're disconnected, it's usually that the guys get an orgasm and there's no fluid that comes out. And there are a bunch of reasons why that can happen. Um, some people are just built that way. Neurologic issues can do it. Some surgery can affect the nerves. Some of the medications can do it. Diabetic men... Uh, when they, uh, not all, but some of them, when, uh, this can be a cause of infertility that normally when a man ejaculates, the fluid gets deposited within the urine channel called the urethra. And it happens within the, right within the prostate, right in the middle of the prostate. And behind the prostate is the bladder. And normally the bladder closes so that with contractions, the fluid only has one way to go, which is out the penis. And if the bladder doesn't close properly, then the fluid can take the path of least resistance into the bladder. Nothing comes out when the man has the orgasm, but then when he urinates, the fluid is still in there mixed in with the urine and it comes out. Um, And that's called retrograde ejaculation. And sometimes after men have had surgery for prostate cancer, um, they also uh, can have an orgasm, like it still feels as good, but there's no fluid that comes out. Right. So I um, I also want to emphasize, though, that there is another reason why somebody might have an orgasm without ejaculation, and that is if he's really trained himself through Taoist or Tantric, you know, sexuality practices to be able to have multiple orgasms before ejaculation so that he can have, 
either the ejaculation with an orgasm or no ejaculation at all when he wants to. And that's a a great bonus because, you know, I would say that most of us, but especially men, are definitely into that more is better mentality. So who wouldn't want more orgasms before they ejaculate? (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, for your your listeners, you know, for men who are having trouble uh, having an orgasm during sex, I think, you know, having less fluid is one thing, but if the experience still feels great, most guys will say that's fine unless you're trying to make babies. But there are a lot of guys who can't come. I mean, they can't have the orgasm. They can't right. have sort of the that great feeling. And there are treatments for them. One of, like I say, medications can be a cause of it. Lower testosterone levels can be a cause of it. And it's worth check, getting that checked out by a medical doctor because those are treatable. Sounds good. So, uh when we come back from the next break, let's talk about um, testosterone supplementation and also about um, ED drugs. And I do want to mention that um, I have a, a free gift for my listeners. It's my hour-long audio and ebook called Beyond Orgasm. Of course, it includes orgasm <laughs> as well, but it's called Beyond Orgasm, How to Have a More Deeply Connected Sexual Experience. So to get that, just uh, visit Beyond Orgasm orgasm.com and I'll get it to you right away. Okay, we'll be right back with Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. It's being called the easiest way to have mind-blowing sex. Why? Because it turns average sex into incredible sex without you doing anything different. And today, you can see it for yourself in a free report. Learn how easy it is to stimulate greater sexual passion, enhance libido, and easier multiple orgasms for women. Experience new levels of intimacy as old sexual inhibitions melt away. And it all happens when you simply play a special type of music while you make love. How is it possible that nothing more than just playing music can give you such incredible sexual encounters? Because this music is enhanced with a special technology called auditory pheromones. Learn how scientifically proven auditory pheromones unleash a wave of sexual passion, intimacy, and pleasure, and free the body to experience maximum arousal and stimulation. Get your free auditory pheromones report today at musicforbettersex.com. That's musicforbettersex.com. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. 
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. This is Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Do you have questions or comments for Ellen Etoff or her guests? Call in live at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to radio show at ecstatica.com. Now, back to the program. Okay, this is Ellen Etoff on Ecstatica discussing men and sex with Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. And when we went to break, we were just getting into the topic of testosterone supplementation relative to men who have difficulty orgasming. And, and you know, I was thinking about how people talk about um, 60 being the new 40. And as I heard one man say on the radio, um, 40 is the new 10. <laughs> so mm. I imagine that more and more men are considering testosterone supplementation just as sort of an anti-aging uh, mechanism. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about some of the benefits and, um, and how it's administered and maybe some of the pros and cons. I'd like to get into both sides of that. Sure. So, you know, I've been doing testosterone work for about 25 years and, um, was one of the early practitioners in this uh, in this uh, country in the modern era, and um, uh, but for whatever reason, it's now become highly controversial. You now see ads for, it, and I think some of this is a backlash against. Anytime something is promoted too heavily, there are people who say, "Oh, this can't be right." But the truth is, is that uh, as men get older. Uh, they go through something, I don't want to say exactly like menopause, obviously, but something that's not so different from it, which is that their hormone levels, specifically testosterone, decline, and it affects them in many, many ways. Um, The usual symptoms for men is that their sex drive goes down, it can affect their erections, it can affect their ability to have an orgasm, like we were talking about in the last segment. They may feel like there's less sensitivity in the genital region. And when they have an orgasm, it may feel like um, it doesn't feel as good as it used to. It feels mm-hmm. like, oh, is that all there is? Uh, it also has some non-sexual uh, effects, like guys feel more tired, less energetic, less alive. They have less sense of well-being. It can affect mood, and uh, guys can, can become crazy. It can related to depression, right? Sometimes. Yeah, and guys can become depressed, and they can become uh, grumpy. Sometimes the women say that my husband turned into a grumpy old man overnight. He's only, whatever, 45 Ooh. or 50. So it's got uh, an amazing number of effects, and um, the most common explanation is simply guys getting older and the testicles, which are the source of testosterone, not working as well as they used to. And the good news is, is that uh, if it's diagnosed and treated with testosterone therapy, um, it gets better. And so we treat a lot of guys, and the old fear used to be that it would cause prostate cancer or make hidden prostate cancer get worse. And some of that research has actually been uh, my own, and uh, this year we won first prize at our national urology meeting for our work where we actually now offer testosterone to some men with prostate cancer which five, ten years ago would have been considered impossible. And those guys have actually done quite well. So um, there are a lot of men out there, especially who are listening into your show, 
or a lot of women who's got a, a man in their life, where they're just wondering why he's less interested in sex than he used to be, um, and or why he's sort of lost his mojo in a way. And if that's the case, then the solution is to get to your doctor. The diagnosis is made with a blood test. It's easy. And it's treatable. Now, here's a question. I know there's the issue of free testosterone versus something else, which I'm not familiar with. But I know that some guys, they go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you're within the normal range. But the normal range for a man who's in his 60s might be low. I mean, can you address that? Because like their doctors won't give them testosterone because they say you're normal, but you're normal for just all the other grumpy old men, right? <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. So there are a lot of men who actually do have the condition and are told that their levels were fine and go away and you're just getting older. And for men who have had that experience, go find yourself another doctor. And um, there's quite, I, it's for reasons that are a, a little bit hard for me to completely understand, a lot of the doctors are very negative about testosterone. They're, they're afraid of it. They're worried about it. They think that it's normal for guys to age and their levels drop. So the normal, there, there are two kinds of testosterone tests, as you, as you mentioned. One is the total testosterone or just the testosterone test, which is what all doctors trained with. But the one that probably is more important is the free testosterone, and it's called free because most of the testosterone in the bloodstream is attached to this carrier molecule, and the free testosterone is the part that is not attached to anything. That's why it's free. It doesn't mean it doesn't cost anything. (laughs) And it's the part that's free that actually represents more what what matters within the body. And, um, you know, the average, most labs will say that the normal range for total testosterone is between 300 and a thousand or say, but if you're 305, you may be fall within what the lab calls normal, but it's not normal. That's pretty low. And most men who are under 350 will have symptoms. And some guys can have a normal looking testosterone, but their free testosterone is low. So if you're, if you're a man or if you're a guy there who's had a blood test, you were told it's normal, but you still wonder if you don't have low testosterone. Ask your doctor to check a free testosterone. And that's a separate test? Or is it in the, if they've already done the test, can they just use the sample they've already got? Well, it depends. I mean, it can be added on in some cases, but, um, all, you know, uh, in, our, in our practice at Men's Health Boston, we get them both automatically together. Okay. Because I know a lot of men are now in, um, you know, PPOs, and so it's hard for them to get the doctor to give them the tests that they think they should receive because they say, well, that's not what we usually give. So they might have to go outside that. that Squeaky squeaky wheel gets the grease. Most doctors doctors want their patients to be happy, and it's although there are some doctors who refuse to get some tests done, uh, most doctors really, if if the request is reasonable, will go ahead and do it. And what about um, the mechanism of... um, you know, of giving it, do you, is it sublingual or is it patches or injections or? Well, there are a couple of ways to give testosterone. The most common in this country are gels or creams that you rub in your skin once a day, and those are mm-hmm. fine. Um, injections have been around for many decades. And uh, again, the guy gets a shot, usually in the bum, uh, once a week or every two weeks. Sometimes we teach men to do it themselves. One of the things that we like a lot over the last five years are these pellets. Um, it's the only long-acting form of testosterone that we have. It lasts about three months. 
It's an office procedure, but it's easy. It just takes five, ten minutes. We numb up the skin in the, in the bum area. We make a tiny little nick in the skin. And then these little pellets, they're each about the size of a grain of rice, uh, get placed in the fatty tissue in the bum. And uh, you don't even need a stitch for the little nick in the skin. You just put a little uh, bandage on it. And um, those pellets dissolve over about three months. And what's nice for the guys is that they leave the office and they don't have to think about anything for another few months. It's like eventually it dissolves and their blood levels come down and they come back and we do it again. Mm, sounds easy. Sounds good. Okay. Um, I want to talk. Thank you for all that. That's, I think that's really uh, great information. Um, I want, you've also written a book called The Viagra Myth, The Surprising Impact on Love and Relationships. And I've got my own views about how sometimes um, Viagra can impact a relationship. Well, pros and cons. So how do you feel that Viagra and other um, erectile dysfunction drugs affect love and relationships? Well, so, you know, this is my specialty is around sexual medicine. And, and let's be clear, these medicines have been fantastic in the sense that they've allowed many men to be able to have sex long after their bodies would have stopped being able to let them do it. And it's not, as we've been talking about, it's not only the men who benefit, but also their partners and their relationships. Sex is such a critical part of how we feel about ourselves, about our partners, and it's really, it's the glue often in many relationships. So that part, sort of the straight-ahead story about those pills is they've been a tremendous boon for not just mankind, but womankind too, I think. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, what I wrote the book about is that these pills have become, in many ways, larger than life, mythical, if you will. <laughs> and, what, and what I've seen in many cases is problems where the pills sort of masked whatever was real and was going on. And um, the pills, in some ways, when guys come to see me, is almost like providing, when the guys start asking for it and you talk to them, it's almost like a window into the male psyche. So I've had men ask me for the pills, and you know whether it's Viagra, Cialis, or whatever. And I say, well, you're having trouble with erections. And they say, well, you know, my wife and I are struggling, and uh, we got some problems in the bedroom, and I think this will maybe help it out. And what you find is that often when you give the pills in those situations, the guy comes back and there's one guy who's in that book, a patient of mine, who said, yeah, the pills worked. <laughs> I was able to have sex. Turns out that wasn't the problem in our relationship. You know, if the, guy, if the guy's coming home drunk every night or abusive in some way, then taking the pill is not going to make him more appealing to his partner. Right, and if in fact he wasn't really attentive to um, his partner's needs and a good lover in a way that was going to help her have a great experience too, if he suddenly feels like a man because he's got an erection and then suddenly he's ready to, to do it where he hadn't been for some long time, she may not be so ready. And if he's not taken the other measures, it could backfire. I mean, I think something like, what's that for? Where have you been all these years? Because a man, some, is, and maybe you tell me if this is commonplace, but I notice that if a man doesn't feel he has um, the potential to have sex, then he often isn't physically affectionate to the degree that he used to be with his partner. So that's what she needs, and then he loses that bonding. Suddenly he's ready to have sex, and she's going, wait a minute. Is yeah, that very I, common? I, I, I think that's exactly right. 
you know the uh, I, I think it's the first the first uh, case story that I present in that book, The Viagra Myth, where this couple came in. They've been married for I forget twenty five years or more, long long term marriage. And um, the guy doesn't say much. He says, uh, Doc, it's broken. Can you fix it? (laughs) And the wife says, like, you know, obviously he's talking about he's got ED. And the wife says, Doctor, there's so much more to the story. It's not just that. It's that we used to have a very affectionate life together. And he was always affectionate with me. And ever since he started having erection problems, he won't touch me anymore. We sit in the movie theater, and if I put my hand on his lap, on his leg, he'll lift it up like a <gasps> dirty dish rag, Aww. like bring it over my lap and just like drop it. And I miss the physical closeness to him and the affection as much, if not more, than I miss the ability to have sex together. And what was amazing about that story, and he didn't have much to say for himself about that, but that's what pained her. But what was amazing is he responded well to uh, one of the pills. And when they came back, it wasn't just that they were having sex together, but that they were physical and affectionate with each other again. Yeah, so it's a commonplace story. And I hope that the lesson for men is that, I don't know what you would say, but and we have to go in a moment, but to, for men to understand that don't give up on the affection just because you feel like you can't carry through with the sex act. That's right. You know what, sometimes, you know, when I asked that particular guy, and I've heard this in other men too, is why, why he stopped being affectionate with her. What he said was, I don't think it's right to promise something if you can't deliver. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, and, I get and it. In his mind, it wasn't that he was trying to deprive her. It was that he didn't want to, it was actually a point of honor for him. He thought he was doing the right thing by her. By not to by trying to like prevent her from thinking that sex was coming because he felt like he couldn't do that, and it's one of these ways in which couples so often miscommunicate about many things. And one of the hard, hardest things to communicate about, well, frankly, is sex. And a lot of it comes down to we have our own ideas about how we're supposed to be. We have our own ideas about what the other person thinks or wants or needs. And it's so charged for us that it's very difficult to be talking about it. Yes, and, and I want to thank you that we have to underscore that right. communication is the one of the big solutions. Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan Toller, for being here. And I want people to know that if they want to reach you, um, they can visit your website, which is menshealthboston.com, or email you at info at menshealthboston.com. Thanks very much. It's been wonderful to be with you. Well, likewise. So if you'd like a transcript of this show or my other Ecstatica shows on Voice America, um, visit ecstatica.com slash show, S-H-O-W. Thank you so much for listening to Ecstatica. This is Ellen Etoff in support of you having an erotic, ecstatic love life. We hope you've learned from and enjoyed the show today. Join us again for another stimulating hour of Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life with your host, Ellen Etoff, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This week, enjoy the best sex of your life.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.